Hello, I'm Doug DeVries, and I practice in Sparks, Nevada. And uh, earlier this summer, uh, there was a consensus group that got together, made up of six ODs and six MDs, uh, to have uh, some type of consensus finding on MGD. And I'm joined here uh, today uh, by Dr. Hardeep Kateria. Yes. Uh, where do you practice? So I practice in uh, Los Angeles in a very small town called Porter Ranch. I thought you were going to say like a very small town like Los Angeles. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure, and it was it was so uh, it was so fun to be involved in this consensus panel uh, that we did this uh, this past summer. And uh, we're going to kind of summarize some of those findings, and uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on some of the findings, and uh, you know, share information about what we do in the uh, in our own practices and how we handle this, and how we were like along with the consensus, and where we may not have been along with the consensus on this. Uh, so you know, we'll, we'll just talk about this for a while, and uh, uh, of course, this is printed, and people can refer to this material for more in-depth findings on uh, this consensus panel that we had. Absolutely. So what we're really going to talk about is some of the consensus findings and then how we actually see that and implement that in practice and make that happen. Uh, so let's talk about prevalence of, uh, of MGD. Uh, you know, when we, when we take a look at some of the studies, like Modern Optometry did a clinical study and a clinical survey, I'm sorry, uh, and to the optometric or the optometrist respondents believe that 70% of patients with ocular surface disease have MGD. Pretty good number, huh? Yes, I, th I definitely think so. What, what do you think about that in your in your office, in your sample size that you see patients every day? What do you think? I think that number's low. Yes, I completely agree. Absolutely, yep. yeah. I think it's closer to 90%. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think the LEMP study showed that it was up higher, and I, I, I tend to agree. I think it really is, and I, that's, and I, I think that's because I press on every lid and look at the MyBum. That's exactly it. If you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. Yeah, yes. and then a coconut uh, paper diagnosed MGD in 52% of the patients uh, with cataracts. What do you think of those numbers? You know, I they seem low. Yeah. And I wonder if this is something that we're not looking for in all of our cataract patients, or if we're looking for it, what are we using to look for it? Uh, you know, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of what's that criteria, have MGD. Absolutely. You know, how, do, how do we make that determination? So let's take a look at consensus finding number one. Uh, and, and this is what percentage of dry patients do you believe have MGD? And the respondents on the, you know, in terms of us and the consensus panel, we came up with a number of 85%, which is different than both of those two papers. Is this getting closer? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, uh, you know, and I, and I think that comes from just constantly looking and constantly pressing on lids to find out. You know, they have the term non-obvious MGD. Yes. It's non-obvious if you don't press on the lids. Yes, exactly. And at that point, once you press, it's either there or it's not there. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's also a question of, you know, do we have really a consensus on what normal looks like before we can start educating our patients and educating practitioners on what abnormal looks like? And what are we using to understand what abnormal looks like and how are we educating patients and how are we educating our practitioners on what that looks like? I think you're 100% right because when we take a look, now to me, normal is baby oil-like. 
Yes. It's clear, it's colorless, and to that point when you press on the lids, that it actually comes out uh, of the mimomian glands, wicks across the eyelid margin, and goes into the tear film. Yeah. And, and you I really see the bifringence on it. I think you're really onto something in terms of what is what is what is normal yes. and what is not. I think I think a lot of docs may be more accepting of something that's a little discolored, a little turbid, a little thicker. Yes, absolutely. And I think that same goes for that same discussion really goes for the structure. Yeah. So if we see a normal structure, does that mean that our job is done? Yeah. Now, when we take this scientific study that we're doing right here and we take your practice and my practice, which is a, a an end of two practices. But the, the amazing thing is it's so parallel because we're doing the same thing to look and define and and actually qualify that MGD. So. You know, it may just be us, but uh, it may be more than just us. Yeah. Uh, so what percentage do you think it is? 90%, 95%? I mean, I just... Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's definitely creeping up. The more we look for it, the more we understand why that number is shifting to the higher numbers. Yeah, and why we've actually looked at that. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, and how important is it to look in the surgical patients for MGD? Yeah, I think it's of utmost importance because I think what we understand about meibomian gland dysfunction is how it contributes to the inf that pro-inflammatory environment on the ocular surface and how it can really affect our surgical outcomes. And so in those cataract patients, it's of utmost importance to have a look prior to going in for the consult so that we can stay ahead of it and we can prevent further disease progression, but also prevent those refractive surprises that we all hate so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, after all, what we're after, when we talk about surface optimization, we want keratometric optimization. We want good K readings because we know it's not going to affect the length of the eye. Right. It's going to affect what do those K readings look like, which is directly directly goes into the biometry readings to determine what the IOL power is. Absolutely. And then we have a whole other side of this discussion about patient symptoms. And that we know that when patients are going in for cataract surgery, one in two of those patients are going to be asymptomatic of having dry eye disease and meibomian gland dysfunction. But are those numbers really reflective of that when the patients come out on the other side? Well, and we saw that with the Traveler data. Yep. You know, that 81% of the patients being referred in for cataract surgery had level two, three or four dry eye and half of them were asymptomatic. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it really it really points to the, the fact that to titrate outcomes, you want the best possible measurement, you want the best possible surface to get the best possible measurement. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So. What we're saying, I think, is that it could potentially have an, uh, an effect on outcomes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so diagnosing, uh, you know, when we there's a lot of criteria for diagnosing and defining that, and I think you and I just showed how parallel we are in that we have a very, uh, you know, a very short fuse for saying, okay, this this is MGD because we're looking at different, we're looking at structure. We're looking at the function by by looking at the myobum. We're looking at the myography for that for that structure. Uh, you know, when we when we take a look at myography, uh, you know, it it doesn't necessarily mean a tremendous amount to me when I say I need a percentage of loss before I treat. If there's any dilation, if there's any loss, I'm considering this an optimum candidate to be treated because you still have structure. Yes. And I, you know, I have to completely agree with that. When we're seeing a certain percentage of gland atrophy, even if we have one gland that's atrophied, to me in my mind, that's like having a central visual field defect 
in a normal tension glaucoma patient. We know that that disease state has the potential to progress. We know at some point the patient will have symptoms at some point in the disease progression, right? And it's really our responsibility to then educate that patient and really get them on some sort of interventional treatment. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, why let it progress when you know it's going? Absolutely. Why, why let it progress? So, and that's why we just can't wait for late stage disease findings. I mean, that is like saying, okay, we're not going to treat this diabetes until there's proliferative diabetic retinopathy. Yep. It's counterintuitive to what we do every day. So, uh, when we're doing an eyelid exam, uh, describe what your routine eyelid exam looks like. Yep, so an external evaluation outside of the SIP lamp to really understand what that lid apposition looks like. You know, is there any entropion or ectropion? Is there a lag ophthalmos? Am I expecting any sort of very overt exposure? And then of course I'm looking behind the sit lamp and I'm assessing the lid laxity, I'm pulling on the eyelids. Of course I'm pushing on the meibomian glands to understand the quantity of the oil that's produced as well as the quality like we mentioned prior. And then of course, you know, I really want to be able to understand uh, the bacterial load. So I'm looking at those lashes, I'm trying to understand bacterial biofilm presence, hyperkeratinization. Is there any lid notching from some meibomian gland dropout? Is there any atrophy, overt signs of atrophy? And those are in our very obvious cases. And then in the non-obvious cases, like we mentioned, we really need to be pushing on those meibomian glands. You know what's interesting is you describe what sounds like a very time-consuming slit lab exam, and it's not. It's not. Seconds. Yep. <laughs> uh, I think that's what's remarkable. Is that you know you go and what you gain from that small amount of time going across those lids and pushing and pulling and lifting, you see it. You see what what you need to see. Um, so, uh, I mean, it sounds like me like you continued to look at this regardless of their symptoms. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. So let's look at consensus finding number two, and that was uh, rate the level agreement with the following statement. Routine eyelid evaluation, including a meibomian gland evaluation, should be a standard part of all ocular surface disease exam. And the number that we came up with was 11 of 12 on the panel felt that it should be. Your feelings on that? I absolutely agree. So, you know, when, we, when we're looking at tests uh, and performing to ensure MGD is not going to detect and treat it, I think the methodology that you taught, that's gonna catch nearly 100% of those patients. I don't think someone's gonna get under that, you know, through that net by, by doing that type. And again, I like to emphasize, it's just, it's a short amount of time. It really doesn't take much time to do that. So, my biography, um, where do you put it in your practice? So in my practice is more unique because I do, or maybe it's not unique, but I'm actually using mybography as a screening tool in 100% of patients. And the reason I do that is because we know that if one in two patients is going to be asymptomatic, using a simple symptom questionnaire is not necessarily going to catch all of my patients with meibomian gland dysfunction. And we all have those patients in our practice where they come in with very severe MGD, they have gland dropout, a significant amount of atrophy. And is it maybe we're not asking the right questions? Or is it that this disease really is asymptomatic? Maybe there's a neurosensory abnormality that's a part of the equation that we haven't really identified at its core. Either way, it's a complex condition. 
And what I would say is that using the mybiography as a tool to screen my patients for MGD has been very crucial in treating these patients and getting them to really understand their disease process. You know, I think that's so important what you said, and that is because, you know, 50% of those patients are going to be asymptomatic. Why are they asymptomatic? Great question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it may be a downregulation of the nerves at that point, and extended stress on the ocular surface, all the desiccative stress, and you know, a neurotrophic component in there. Uh, but the fact is, you know, and another, uh, you know, valuable is if you know that going in to seeing those patients, it makes it a lot easier to explain to a patient. Yes, absolutely. What, what's going on? And the mybography pictures, they help for education purposes, absolutely. Oh, I think uh, for educating, I think it's uh, you know absolutely essential to have that in. Uh... So let's look at consensus finding number three. Uh, should mybography be performed at the point of care with ocular surface disease patients? Nine of 12 believe that mybography should be performed at the point of care of all OSD patients. How do you feel about that number? <laughs> I'm surprised um, and, I, and I think it's not as simple as um, perform a mybography on every single patient because I think we do have some practice management concerns. You know, I think we have some unique challenges. Not every practice uh, who wants really to be involved in dry eye management might have access. There's cost access concerns that we have to consider. I would love for this number to be much higher. I agree. I totally agree in it, especially because we define OSD patients. That should be a given. So if you say, well, 90% of OSD patients have some component of meibomian gland than it would be. So I, I'm in agreement with you. I think that that number should be uh, higher. Okay, let's look at this. Should mybography be performed at the point of care for cataract patients preoperatively? Yes. Again, very surprised at this number. Six out of 12 of us believe that mybography should be performed for cataract patients. And again, I think it just goes back to the accessibility of, of of the mybography. Yeah, I think so. And, I, and you mentioned something I think was so critical of why it's not and that's patient flow. Yeah. And I think just processing, in our practice, 100% of the patients that are cataract patients get mybography. So we do we do uh, subscribe to that. So, But I was shocked with that number as well that only half of the, uh, the group felt that way. So really when we take a look at this, uh, you know, with the, the key findings, I mean, and what we show with consensus is really it should be done more than it's being done. Mybography and evaluation of the lid should be done more than it really is, is currently being done. Uh, and with different sectors, whether it's OSD patients or the cataract surgery patients as well, because when we take a look at the consensus pattern and then we look at some of the data that it's out there on how much mybography is really being done, how much looking and pushing on the lids is, uh, it isn't up to the numbers at the consensus, so I think we have that. So, uh, again, if you're interested in a, in a more in-depth discussion of our consensus uh, findings, I certainly invite you to read the full supplements in Modern Optometry, uh, and you can get that information and see uh, everything that we went through on that. But it's uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you about this, and I, I love it because you agree with what I feel too, so it always makes it a lot easier when we're talking about, you know, that, uh, and I think it's because we practice that way and we like to find out, we want to discover, we want to find out why is that patient uncomfortable or why do they have staining and they're not uncomfortable, so we want to figure that out. Thank you but, very much. Oh, thanks so, much for, thanks so much for joining me with us. Thank you.